we are starting our Advent series this morning, and uh, I want to begin by sharing a couple passages of Scripture that address the topic of hope. Um, our series, we're, we're going to be focusing on preparation, uh, the preparation, because that's really what Advent means. It means that we're in anticipation. We're preparing, waiting on the Lord and His purposes to come to fruition in our lives. And um, it's a time where we remember what the Lord has done on our behalf by sending Christ to us. And so as we think through and look towards the celebration of Christmas morning and the incarnation of Christ, uh, these, these thoughts, uh, what we're doing for Advent, are incredibly important. And um, I uh, often think when it comes to this time of year that we can get caught up in a lot of other activities that are really outside of the focus of what Christ is for us. And so this Advent season for us ought to be helping us tune in, uh, tune in our hearts, especially to what the Lord is, is doing in our lives. Um, I want to share this too. Um, it's, it's always, like to me, this happens once every, I guess it's technically every seven years, that Christmas morning falls on a Sunday. Um, so we will be having service on Christmas Sunday morning here, okay? It'll be a little different because we anticipate some people be traveling and uh, those kind of things, but we will be having a service that morning and we'll be doing things a little differently. Now, th this morning with uh, the topic of hope being what we're focusing on, I want to read uh, two verses that have really become, I, I, I want to say just like in, in a sense foundational for me in my life, and I don't know if they'll appeal to you in a sense uh, particularly, but um, I hope they help you, and I hope they especially help you as you think through ministering to others. Um, one of these is found in Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 12, and it's, it's to me a very important verse for counseling. Some of you may recall, if you're new to the church uh, several years ago, um, you're not going to know this, but, but several years ago, uh, I think it was about 2016 through 2018, there was about a two-year period, I was asked by um, a group here in our county uh, to be part of a mental first aid um, program for youth. And so I got training in that, presented this program about youth mental health first aid, CPR. And uh, it was interesting to me because they asked me, coming from a faith background, um, when I attended the, the first seminar that, that they had or that first clinic, they recognized because of my youth background and just some of the things about my uh, understanding of these things that I'd be a good trainer. And so uh, one of the things I had the opportunity was to do was train several faith-based groups. And so uh, having that background of uh, pastor and pastoral counseling, and then being able to infuse some things uh, from the, the scriptures into those, uh, the teaching with those faith-based groups was re really good. And um, I think it came from also just a slightly different perspective than the material itself. Though they, uh, the material, one of the things I appreciate about, they recognized uh, though it was a secular uh, entity that, that did the work from Australia, they recognized that faith uh, and faith-based relationships are essential for youth mental health to be sound. And so in that, this verse became one of those rallying verses for me, because I, I think when we think about students especially, or even us as adults struggling with uh, pressures in life, this is a key verse. It says, it was Proverbs 13, 12, and it says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we think about who we are created to be as worshipers of God, where sin has separated us from Him, ultimately, our hope is deferred. That, that we cannot rightly engage with Him in a relationship. Now, here's what's interesting. He goes on to say, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What's the greatest desire we have? It's, it's really the Lord, right? Tony points to the Lord, right? It is. It's that our relationship with the Lord would find some kind of reconciliation. Now, not everyone identifies that right away, but what we tend to see in our culture is people trying to satisfy their hope with cheap things, and their desires will not truly be fulfilled. And what that leaves them with is a, a, a tree that is not really a tree of life. It's a tree that is going to eventually decay. And so it's interesting to me, and this is getting into the message just a little bit. I'm going to tip you on some things. We're going to be talking today about Isaiah chapter 11, that the prophet Isaiah reveals to us that there is this root of Jesse that is Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to me that the tree of life represents that desire fulfilled, right? Or that desire fulfilled represents the tree of life. The root of the tree of life can only be Jesus. Does that make sense? So the other passage, this is over in Ephesians chapter 2. And um, again, uh, if you're new to the church, uh, I've been trying to memorize the book of Ephesians for a couple years. And just through circumstances, it's, it's one of those books that, um, or one of those periods that I've had to like drop at times um, just because of the busyness. And what I'm going to do right now... Um, I'm going to light the candle for hope, and then I want to read this passage, okay? So, as we think about hope deferred making our hearts sick, I want to read this passage now. It's, it's Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, and we're going to be looking at this concept of Gentiles today again and again. But you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, now I could get into a ton of theology right here, but what Paul is getting at is, it doesn't matter what we are in the flesh. Circumcised, uncircumcised. It's all about the flesh right here. He's, he's really saying there's no, there's, we, don't, we don't need to put our trust in what the flesh does, okay? But here's what he goes on to say. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That's us, Okay? That's all of us, because this is in Ephesians 2, where he's also previously talked about all of us being dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power uh, that is at work in all the sons of disobedience, amongst, amongst whom we all once walked, okay? So, so the context is, even though we are Gentiles, we've been sinners. And he says this, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. Mason, we, we sang this morning about us being able to embrace the, the promises that God has given us in Christ. So he says, we had no hope, we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. But listen to verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
See, when hope is deferred, the heart is sick. But because of Christ, though we were alien from him, though we were strangers to the covenants of promise, though we were far off, because of the blood of Christ, we've been brought near. Wow. And, and, and therefore, hope is no longer deferred. Our, our hearts can be transformed by Christ because of his person. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So, so as, we, you know, as we look at this candle that, that represents this idea of hope, and we're going to look at these each week. We're going to light these candles and look at these each week. I hope that you'll remember back to this idea that we once were without hope. But because of Christ, we possess hope. So let's, let's pray together and we're going to jump into the message for this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that as we begin to anticipate the things of Christ uh, and, and the things that uh, through this Christmas season point to, to his birth, and Lord, though it's just, uh, we, we tend to just kind of focus in at the birth point, there's so much more that stands behind the meaning and the message of his incarnation. And there's so much more that points to the plan of his, uh, of the fulfillment of salvation for us, his redemptive atoning work. And we looked at that here recently in, in our uh, Pillars of Our Faith series. So, so Lord, I pray that even as we look at this text today, that it would help us connect dots about why we have hope. And Lord, it's not a momentary hope, it is an eternal hope because of what Christ has done on our behalf. It's because of who he is. So Lord, use this message to strengthen us, to encourage us, to, to fulfill our deepest need and desire, which is reconciliation that comes through redemption by the blood of Christ. So with this, Lord, we proceed into the text. Give, give your spirit now uh, the opportunity to work in our hearts, help us to listen and identify these truths well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Romans 15 now. Um, I'm going to give up on the stool. It doesn't want to raise this morning. Um, by the way, if you're sitting on this side over here on my right, the left side, um, are, are y'all like hearing everything coming out of this side? You hear a little bit? Okay, maybe it's, maybe the gremlins are out. We're having gremlins in our system. So I was like out of balance. Um, I like things in stereo. Um, so it, Mason, are you hearing it out of the side now? You're not, okay. One ear doesn't work now? Okay, because you're getting it all from this side. So, okay. If you walk out and lean a little bit to one side or the other this morning, okay, y'all are hearing good. I'm going to go on then. So this morning, we're going to be in Romans 15. And um, as, as I was unpacking this and thinking through this passage, I, I, I was amazed at, at how detailed Paul can be. Um, it, it, it just never, amaz like never ceases to amaze me, the, the, just the intricacy which he understands and applies the Scripture. And this morning is one of those places that it just, as I studied, I was just like, I was blown away by how thoughtful he is. And I know he's inspired by the Spirit, but, the, but it's also because I think he spent three, three years or so after coming to faith where he went away into the wilderness and just studied 
the Old Testament and, and came to know it in such a, a rich and deep way that the Lord then used those things, that, that period of his life, as he began to write these letters to the churches. So in Romans 15, we have one of these passages that it, it just is, is so detailed in its relationship to the Old Testament and what he's teaching. It's just amazing to me. So let's, let's look at Romans 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 13, and you'll, uh, I think you'll begin to see this as we unpack it. So he begins here, and he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feeling or failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. There's our word for the day. Now, let me pause there real quickly, too. As Paul is writing this, he, he is looking back, and he's, this, his reference to the Scriptures at this point in verse 4 is so important because what he's saying is we have looked at the Scriptures of the Old Testament, and these things are what establish our hope. And if we don't understand the Scriptures, we won't understand the, the hope of promises that Christ has, has blessed us with, okay? So let's, let's keep going in verse 5. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even who, he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So, there's two aspects of theology that I, I think are essential for us to understand as Paul begins to, un, uh, to, to, to focus in on uh, this passage. The first is this, and, and we see this throughout the book of Romans, the, it is that individuals are justified by grace through faith. Now, he doesn't unpack all of that in, in this passage, but we know from Romans that that's one of the em emphases that he makes, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Uh, is one of those passages. Let's, let's just turn there to make sure that we all get this. Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says this, if you confess for, or actually, yeah, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the wet mouth, 
One confesses and is saved. This, that's one of those key passages when we talk about the importance of salvation that we go back to and say, it's this simple. It's about confession and faith. Now, what's interesting, and I did go back and look at the Greek, and I think this is, is an important idea here. He, he actually uses that word you. It's actually in the second person singular. So I would be the first person singular. You being one individual, you would be the second person singular. And I think it's also interesting that he says in verse uh, 10 that it's with the heart one believes. So what Paul is emphasizing is the individual nature of our faith throughout the book of Romans. It's certainly an important piece for us to grab a hold of in our minds and our hearts especially as he talks about the importance of, of us being justified by faith. That is not a community issue. That's partially one of the reasons I struggle with some, of, some other denominations, that they hold that faith is about a family value instead of it being about an individual value. And, and there's this idea that being a covenant parent, my children would be then covenant or children of the covenant and they would be heirs to the promise. I don't see that through the book of Romans. I, I very clearly see that it's about the individual's responsibility to respond to the gospel. Now, there's certainly, and this is the second thing that Paul identifies here in Romans 15, there's certainly a second theological uh, principle that he's emphasizing, and that is the principle of community. And he says this, if you look back at, at chapter 15, verse 1, he says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. This is community. He, he then goes on to describe that we are to please our neighbors, that we uh, do that as unto Christ. And, and he says, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. In verse 7, he says that. So, so he's emphasizing the importance of community here as well. And folks, I, I think why that is so essential for me to point out at this moment is we can't understand hope apart from walking in community together. You, you might say, no, Matt, I can't. You won't fully understand it. Because there's moments that I need in my weakness to have a strong brother come alongside of me and bear with my failings. And, and to say, Matt, though you're struggling, there's accountability. There's a greater promise. Stick with the Lord. Don't, don't fall into sin. Don't continue in that pattern. But instead, repent. Receive the mercies of, of the Lord and walk in humility with Him, being transformed by the gospel that is at work in you. Have your mind renewed. See, see all these things that I'm pointing back to in Romans, if you know the book of Romans well. Every one of us needs these things in our lives. And that's what I think Paul is getting at. We can't just do the Christian life as individuals. We need the community of faith to walk together so that our hope is secured in Christ. Because by us pointing to Christ as the object of our faith, we are more strongly encouraged in our walk with him. So here's what he does. Having mentioned those things now, here's what he wants his readers to know. 
And if you didn't catch this as I read through it, I'm going to just make sure that I emphasize this. In, in verse, let's, let's pick up again in verse 8 and just reflect back on this again. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant, we're going to look at that in a second, to the circumcised, that would be to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So, so certainly Jesus came and fulfilled those promises that were given to the, the Israelites, to the Jews. But here's where we tie back into Ephesians 2. Those, those verses in 2, 10 through 13 that we read. He says, in order that the Gentiles, us, we might glorify God for his mercy. And then what he does here is so incredible as it is written. So he goes back, he says, we have got to understand how Jesus fulfilled these promises from what the scriptures have told us. And here's what he does. He points to the 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 scriptures, and then second to the person of Jesus. So, so let me say this. Scripture alone, if, if it didn't relate to Jesus himself, it would, it would not be good enough for us. It, it would not provide any value. But because Jesus is the one who fulfills the scripture, that's the combination that is the culmination of what we need. Does that make sense? And so when we look at the scriptures, we need to understand they're ultimately pointing to the fulfillment that Jesus provides. So the scriptures, though they are authoritative, Jesus is the object by which, to which they point. And if we don't continually recognize that, we're failing just to go, well, the scriptures say, the scriptures say Jesus is enough. Every Old Testament passage really is a, cu- a culmination of saying, here's how Jesus, the object of our faith, is essential. That is where we've got to rest. People don't just need the scriptures. They need Jesus of the scriptures. Can I make that any more clear? I mean, that's who hope is in. Jesus is the object of hope. So let's look at these couple things. If I can get my notes to turn. There we go. Okay. So we're going to look at this because it's so interesting. The first thing that we see in verse 9 is he says... Uh, He says, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. This this is so incredible. So what he does here is he goes to Psalm 18, verse 49 in particular. So if you're looking at your cross-references, I I would certainly hope, I I try to instill like good, healthy Bible study habits for us. Using your cross-references and footnotes and all those kind of things are beneficial Okay, so if you write in your Bible, which I encourage you to do, mark that footnote or that cross-reference that points to Psalm 1849. So the the second one, as we look at verse uh, 10, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is another quote from Psalm 117.11. Now, this is an interesting psalm. It's a psalm that contains only two verses. It's crazy short. Most psalms are really long. But this is crazy short, and it's very specific. So for Paul to quote from the shortest psalm in all of the psalms is really important. And what it points to is this idea of the Gentiles, again, doing something. And then verse 11, he points to this next verse. Praise the Lord to all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. This is a passage that quotes Deuteronomy 32, 43. So hang on. Last one, and in verse 12, he says, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So that's a quote from Isaiah 11, verse 10. Now, 
Let me, I'm kind of browsing through real quick, brushing over these, and we're going to unpack each of these in just a second. Why brush through? Here's what I want you to recognize. Paul quotes from the Psalms, he quotes from books of history, and he quotes from prophets. What has he just done? He said, he said, all of the Old Testament is valid. All of the Old Testament is, is essentially pointing to the purpose of God's plan for redemption that is fulfilled in the person of Christ. And here's what interestingly he does in this. Who is predominantly, or who, who is the predominant object or, um, um, I'm trying to think, t- topic that, that this, the Old Testament has been given to? Help me out. Who's it intended to, 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 to speak to? Who are the recipients originally? Is that better? There we go, Jews. I'll, I'll figure out my wording here in a second. <laughs> the Jews, right? But here's what he's done. In each of these areas, he has highlighted this important fact that though it was given to the Jews, it is also intended for who? The Gentiles. They were also the heirs of promise. Isn't that amazing? And so when we as Gentiles look into this, though it's written for Easterners, we as Gentiles are the recipients of the same promises. We should rejoice. We should go, that secures our hope. There, we, we are included in this, and we need to pursue a healthy understanding of who Christ is because he is our hope as well. So, so you see why Though, in Proverbs 13, 12, we read, hope deferred leaves the heart sick. And then we come to Ephesians 2, or we come to Romans 15. We see that we also are the heirs of the promises, and we've been reconciled together. The dividing wall, and Paul goes on to say this in Ephesians 2, that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down because of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no more Jew, there is no more Gentile. We are one in the body of Christ. Oh, doesn't that echo? What he's saying about the individual, but also community here in Romans 15. Wow, what a phenomenal message. So let's look at the the instances now a little bit more specifically. Um, So when we look at these verses, um, and let me, maybe I can give you this um, as we overview this. Um, First of all, when Paul is quoting Psalm 18, he, he's giving this idea that in verse 9, he says, Therefore, I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. It, it's that there's this participation that the Gentiles have to worship the Lord. And then in verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So, so it's kind of like first the, in verse 9 we say the Gentiles are included. Verse, verse 10, the Gentiles are participating with more specifically, verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. It's as if they're doing this on their own. See, they're not relying on a relationship alone, but they're, they're so, um, and, and I don't want to move away from the idea of community, but they're responsible unto themselves. Does that make sense? That we have this opportunity as Gentiles now to be responsible for this as well. And then verse 12 emphasizes this idea that we are the ones who receive his mercy and we're included in this. So here's what we need to do. We need to look back and see how, what, what the real meaning of all these things is. So first of all, let's look at verse, uh, uh, Psalm 1849, um, this verse quoted in, in verse 9. 
What's interesting about this psalm, this is actually written by David. It's written towards the end of his life. So he's actually reflecting over a period where he has fulfilled like all of his calling that the Lord has called him to. And and he's like communicating his longing for something different and his recognition that he alone is not the provider. So, so Mason, I, as we were looking at worship this morning, he began to sing um, that tagline or that bridge in A Mighty Fortress that, that Matt Boswell has added in that talks about um, the, the, the fulfillment of the promises that the Lord is the, the rock. And it's, it's that idea of Psalm 18 that, that refers to the, the Lord being the rock, our salvation, the, or the horn of our salvation. And ultimately, the people of Israel were looking for who to be that, this earthly king, right? And and they're looking and they're wanting David to be that in a sense, but David's approaching the end of his life and he's recognizing that he is not the fulfillment of that, that promise for the people. David is actually writing this looking towards an eternal king. That fulfills this. What's also interesting is this, this same passage is quoted in, Deuter, um, in, in 2 Samuel. Um, and, and so there's this idea that in the history of, of David's life, it's captured again that David is not the one to provide, but it's pointing to Jesus, the eternal Messiah, the one who will sit on the throne for eternity. And if you looked at any kind of Old Testament prophecy, you see that about David's life again and again. There's an, a promise of one who is eternal that will sit on the throne, not David himself. So, so we get this idea that is truly the, the, the Gentiles' hope is in the Messiah himself, not David. What a great picture. So then we look at Deuteronomy 32. This is one of the final messages that, um, let's just turn there. Deuteronomy 32. It may take you a second to get there. If you're using the right Bible, Tony Pfizer, it'll be on page 285. I'm kidding with you. So my copy is on page 285. Does that help anybody by chance? Okay, I didn't think so. So page, uh, so Deuteronomy 32, um, verse 43. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Now, if, if you're using a... Electronic Bible, I'm, I'm not sure how this is going like, to show up, but if you're using a hard, like a hard copy, I'm guessing that you're going to see at the bottom of your page or somewhere in your notes a lot of footnotes at the bottom, okay? So here's what's interesting. If you look at the, the scripture in uh, Romans 15, it doesn't read the same as what Deuteronomy 32, 43 reads, but what happens is as scholars have gone back and looked at various texts, okay? Because remember, we don't have an original copy of any either the Old Testament or New Testament, okay, that's penned by the original authors. What we have are multiple manuscripts that have come down through time. And so what we do is, as in scholarship, you compare those translations and, and weigh those, those copies and manuscripts and all those kind of things to see how they relate. So if you look at the foot, footnotes, at the beginning of verse 43, 
Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods. There's a little number one in my text. So you go down, and it says the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Septuagint, the Masoretic text says, Rejoice his people, O nations, not O heavens. So there's where the idea that Paul communicates in Romans 15 echoes a better translation, I think, in what those other texts say. So, so scholars have just decided for some reason to put it in the, these kind of ways. But they also recognize there's enough distinction that they need to put the footnote in. So what is happening here? If you look down just a little bit later, um, verse 48, if you have a, head, a title line right there, it says Moses' death is foretold. So essentially, what we're seeing is this is the end of Moses' life where he's providing these last ideas to the Israelites at the end of his leadership time. And what he's saying is the Gentiles, all of the Gentiles are going to be included in this blessing, that the nations are going to rejoice. So Moses, who was focused in on the Israelites, is actually saying it's not just for us that the promises of God are going to be offered, but we are going to see the impact of the nation of Israel, of Israel bless other nations, and the promises that God has made to us over the, the, the years are going to be fulfilled as the people of God, the nation of Israel, impact the nations around them. And the nations are going to respond to the gospel message, to the, to, to the Messiah, to Christ who's been promised to us, and they are going to rejoice with us. It's amazing to me that Moses and the Israelites have been given that promise. Now, unfortunately, what do they do? They, they kind of forgot that and hoarded the gospel message and became almost like, like combative towards other nations when they should have been evangelistic and, and, and hopeful sharing the gospel to those other nations. I think that's partially a reason that the Lord continued to discipline them and put them in foreign lands, that they would have an impact as they shared their faith, because didn't that happen again and again and again? Specifically, think about Daniel. Daniel's taken to Babylon, and what does he do? He continues to display, he and his three friends, they continue to display the glory of the true and living God, so much so that the false or, or the foreign kings began to say, truly their God is a true and living God. We see that again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, that God has planted his people in a place to glorify his name that people would exalt him. It's prophesied, but ultimately it happens through the promises that Jesus fulfills. And that good news? And that's what establishes hope. So that's the importance of Deuteronomy 32 and, and as it relates. Then Paul refers to Psalm 117. So let's look at that. Psalm 117. It says this. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. If you remember a couple weeks ago, um, I was talking about this idea of steadfast love, and if, if you, I encourage you to go back and do a, a deep study on it out of Psalm 25. It's a great psalm. This is the idea of the chesed love of the Lord, that covenant steadfast love that is extended from the greater to the lesser. When we have nothing to offer the Lord, he extends his steadfast love to us. It's not because we've earned anything. 
It's simply because of his grace. It's, that, it's really that Old Testament concept of grace right there, that, that the, mirroring the New Testament concept. So he says, for great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now, why does he quote that? Well, I, I think it's this point of, of the nations being glad, the nations rejoicing for what reason? Because remember, no passage of, of uh, Scripture that is quoted in the Old Testament is just about the verse alone. Paul often, or whoever that New Testament writer is, when they quote those, especially Hebrews, they're pointing also to the greater context of the passage. And so Psalm 117, that first part being quoted by Paul here in Romans 15, is also, remember this. Remember that it's about his steadfast love. We praise the Lord because Jesus is our hope, because through him, the steadfast love of the Lord is revealed to us. See, when we think about our hope, our hope is secured because of the love of Christ. No greater love has any man than what? He laid down his life for another. And so what Paul does, he says this, and he's pointing to this, so that we would remember that it's the blood of Christ that offers us hope and security. Isn't that amazing? Let's look at the, the last passage. Look over in Isaiah 11, verse 10. So, and we're not going to take the time to read all of this, but I, I would just encourage you real quickly, bounce as, as you're getting there to Isaiah 11, just real quickly look at verse uh, 1. Therefore shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root. So we get this context, all these things about um, that, that's building to the, this point. Um, it's, it's prophetic, ultimately, Verse 10 comes down to this. He says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people of him, uh, peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from all these places. And, and, and so here's what we see. And, and go through this metaphor with me really quickly. Well, when we think about Jesus being the, the one who's promised from the line of who? David, right? David is the son of Jesse. So what the metaphor that Isaiah is using here to help us understand this prophecy more particularly is if Jesse is the seed from whom David extends to then the Lord, why would he not just say from Jesse, David? He, he says from the root of Jesse. Is that making sense? So the root is what part of the tree? That which is under the ground. So I, I, I got to spend a little bit of time this week um, going down to my parents' property in Alabama. And my dad last year had to put an uh, entire um, engineered septic system in place. It was a glorious expense. It's, it's about a 66, uh, 60 by 60 uh, square on our property. And what that, so kind of give you an, a visual, that's literally about from the stage back to the, the wall, so half, that's a square. So imagine that. That's about um, 2040. So it's about to that part, okay? So big square. It's, it's like dug out, sand laid, pipe laid, uh, 
some kind of fabric to protect the pipe and then about a foot of dirt. So this is in flat Alabama. So we've got this now 60 by 60 mount. Well, evidently in the topsoil, they picked some bad topsoil because all of a sudden we've not for decades, like literally 30 years, had any kind of little evergreen saplings popping up in this area. And all of a sudden, evergreen saplings are everywhere in there. We've also got like little maple saplings in there. So here's the problem. When you have trees growing on top of a septic system, that, those roots are going to do what? They're going to go after that good soil deep down and start to break into un- this, this like little, like, does anybody know what Schedule 20 pipe is or Schedule 40 pipe or Schedule 80 plastic pipe is? Okay, some of you do. Schedule 20 is like really thin stuff. Schedule 80 is like really thick gray stuff. So this is like less than Schedule 20. It's really thin, cheap plastic, and it's got holes drilled into it. So not only is it a pipe that just like pushes out at one end, it's got holes everywhere. So the root system can easily trace. So I spent most of Tuesday afternoon and some of, uh, actually most of Monday afternoon and Tuesday afternoon, bent over trying to pull saplings up at the roots. No fun. My hips were sore, my back was sore, my arms were sore, places that I didn't know I had muscles because I, this is my activity in PhD work. That's the biggest thing I do right now, okay? So I understand, like thinking about this, the whole root system has been plaguing in my head all week long about this, okay? So when we think about the roots, the roots are there prior to you seeing the sapling come up. So here's my point. When we think about the root of Jesse, it's prior to anything else that we see. So this points to a couple things. First of all, is the divine nature of Jesus. Because he is the root. He's been there from how long have we learned? Eternity, because he is fully God. As the second member of the God, he is fully God. Every aspect of his divine nature is fully God. So he himself is the root of That's what this prophecy is pointing to. We need the divine person to come and intervene for us. He's also after Jesse because of why. After David. How? Why? Because we also need for him to be fully man. Because if he's not fully God and fully man, he cannot rightly fulfill his role in the work of atonement for our behalf, and he cannot shed his blood on our behalf to be that perfect atoning sacrifice. All of that stuff that we've looked at in the previous couple of weeks. So what Paul is getting at, he's going back to this prophecy in Isaiah that we might understand how Jesus alone fulfills this prophecy, and he alone is the object of our hope. What a great picture. What a great picture. So, let me finish with this, and I hope this is encouraging. Oh, I, I, need, to, I need to emphasize this, because I'm thinking about those hundreds of little trees that I pulled up. When you pull up the root, you, you're in that moment. Yeah, the, the ones that I couldn't get, it was so frustrating. Then I just take loppers and cut them off and hope that chemicals that we put on will kill it. Okay, but when I pull the root up, what, what I'm seeing there, you know, now don't follow the metaphor here, but the carnal man, 
The, the sinful man, apart from the revealing work of the Spirit, taking the Scriptures and illuminating our hearts and minds to those things, will not understand the truth of who Jesus is. We have to be praying for lost people. We have to pray that they would experience the hope of the good news as we reveal the Scripture to them, sharing that, that the Holy Spirit would take that and reveal that to them. Changing the perspective, the carnal man, bringing the, the Scripture to light. Because the carnal mind will never understand these truths. So, what does all this mean for us then? Here's what's interesting to me. If you look at all of these passages, and we're not going to run through it for time's sake, but if you go back and look at these, what is each one, like the Gentiles are included in this process of what? Praise, of glorifying the Lord, giving, giving extolling the name of Jesus. When our hope is fulfilled because of the object, Jesus, we can't help but praise him. Folks, this Christmas, as we think about what we're preparing to ultimately celebrate, as we think about Jesus, our hope, the object of our faith, our desire, our goal, our plans, our vision, like everything that, that our, our, the heart and our affections, everything that we ought to be about should be to make the most of his name. And I don't want to get on a soapbox, but if you look around, you know as well as I do, it's happy holidays. We've, we've removed Christ from the celebration. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to give you my lesson. I, I used to hate the, the term Xmas, right? If, if that's you, I get it. Okay, but we're not taking Christ out of Christmas when we do that. It's actually, X is actually the Greek letter chi that begins the word Christ. So it, it actually is an abbreviation. So if you see me do that, don't think Matt's being, you know, sacrilegious or anything like that. I'm, I'm actually going to Greek roots, okay, because that's the, the front of Christ. So if you mark your boxes, Go for it. Market Xmas. Be fast and remember Christ is still there and, and have a, a, some fun with Greek for a minute, okay? But here's my point. How easy is it for us to talk about Christ being the source of our hope this time of year? We ought to be doing that. We ought to be praising Him every moment that we get. When we come into worship, especially this time of the year. Our worship should focus on Christ who is fully divine, fully man. The answer for our salvation, the one who by his blood has redeemed us, that we the Gentiles are included in the promises of God from all eternity. He has shown us his steadfast love. When we who are not worthy we still have received it. What hope we possess. What hope we possess. I want to read this again because I, as I was reading this again this morning, it, just, it stuck out to me. And then, Mason, I don't know if you want to do a reprise, if you got one in mind. I, don't, I, I trust you, man. Come on up and do this. Get ready. 
I want to go back to May uh, to Romans 15, 13. And this, let this be our benediction before we sing. May the God of hope fill you. Here are the other topics for Advent with all joy. And let me emphasize this real quickly. It's not just some joy, a little bit more than you had. It's with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what you have done for us in your perfect plan of salvation is absolutely amazing. In this season, Lord, our desire, our calling, the instructions that you've given us is for us to abound in, in hope. It, it's not to look at the circumstances of the world and to feel defeated. Lord, instead, it's, it's to rally around the idea of who Christ is. And Lord, the fact that you have called us both individually to faith in Christ and then also corporately to exercise that faith together, it enables us to worship, to praise you so that our hope might abound all the more. And it's not that it increases because Christ never changes and he never increases, but Lord, our, our sense of understanding can increase as we encourage each other to worship Jesus, the object of our faith. And so, Lord, as we do that now to conclude our service, I pray that you would be honored as your people praise you. As we, Gentiles, who are also heirs of these promises, co-heirs with Jesus, praise you. you have, we are fulfilling the promises that you have established as we do this. Let that strengthen us. Let that encourage us, especially as we celebrate Jesus in this season of Advent. And we pray these things in His name and for His glory and for your sake. Amen. Amen.